I'm Lauren. And I'm Eric. Over the past year, we've connected dozens of classic She-Ra episodes to modern progressive issues. But we're not done yet. In this second season of our show, I'm no longer a newbie to Etheria. This year, we're taking a higher level view of the characters and issues that face the Princess of Power. We're as interested as ever in how those issues connect to our current political landscape. So join us as we look back to the 80s and forward to the Netflix reboot of one of our favorite cartoons. This, this is, is She-Ra, Progressive, Progressive of Power. Hello, everybody. Welcome yet again to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. I am Eric. And I am Lauren. And this is the last episode you will hear about us talking about the classic She-Ra, Princess of Power cartoon show. Oh, my gosh. I guess that's right. Yes. Uh, because this is our final non-live episode of season two. And then uh, we're going to have a cool live finale party. And then we're going to go on hiatus until Netflix releases their show. I get the feeling it's going to be soon, though, so I'm not sure how long of a hiatus we're going to get. We're talking about Arrested Development, right? Because we have to start again, like, next week. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. (laughs) So the Arrested Development Season 4 remix, I have a lot of negative feelings about. Season 5 starts, too, right? Yes, soon. But they they redid Season 4 to make the plot more linear, but also to make the episode syndication length. And there's so much over-narration and over-telling. It's, I don't love it. It's such a good show, and I feel like they've ruined it. So thanks for listening to our Arrested Development podcast. Yeah, uh, I don't even have a punny name for that. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, I bet we'll get like three or four weeks notice. But, yeah, um, we're here today to talk about the forthcoming Netflix show. And, I mean, kind of all season our theme has been like, what do we think is going to happen? And that's what this whole episode is about. Yeah, you know, I was driving over here thinking what I was going to say, and I realized I've already expressed a lot of my personal wishes for the show, from themes to gender representation to costuming. And so what I have brought with me, which we'll get to later in the show, is our fan comments. Yeah, similarly, I mean, I I don't know that there's been much I haven't said, but we can kind of put everything into a bow, I guess, and just (laughs) a bow. And, uh, you know, just get ready, get stoked. Uh, we probably won't talk about politics at all this episode, so we should say something political up front, I guess. Oh, net neutrality. Net neutrality is coming back around. Thank goodness. The Senate, at least. Kind um, of kind of proof that uh, your voice can be heard, which is something I'd been feeling quite pessimistic about recently, actually. Oh, I remember what I wanted to talk about, which is the, um, the pink wave in the primaries on Tuesday. Oh, yeah. Which is that liberal progressive Democrats and women did very well in primaries this past Tuesday, uh, kind of upsetting not just Trump fans, but also the DCCC which I am not sad about at all. Just upsetting, like, old white dudes everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, right. Whether you're a far-right Republican or a centrist Democrat, the results were not in your favor. But it's crazy when you hear about, like, the National Democratic Party backed a guy who uh, was cool with uh, pro-life people because they feel like they need to win Pennsylvania at all costs. 
Turns out, though, that a woman who is very pro-choice can also win a district in Pennsylvania. Weird. Yeah, thank goodness. One of the strongest sort of base principles of our nation that I am most passionate about is separation of church and state. And I'm not willing to compromise that just to get some votes in the short term. I also just think, you know, as much as centrists say, like, oh, we uh, we have to hold these, like, tenets strongly. Like, we, we need a unified identity. Like, none of your you're too far left and then they go ahead and just betray like the easiest most basic democratic uh platforms right i feel like the trump era is dragging democrats further to the right as if they're trying to appease these people in the center and i'm not sure there are that many people in the center left anymore no uh, except for rich old white men your microphone keeps flying away from you. It does. The studio's being weird today, I tell you. Okay. The studio's full of ghosts. It is. All right. So uh, I this, we could actually use this as a transition, right? So we're watching uh, a lot of women and a lot of minorities and a lot of progressive, interesting people come into politics at a time when they are super needed. And that's kind of what I want she to do as well. One of the big struggles... The concept of this podcast butts up against is that a lot of people have a very like milk toast nostalgia for He-Man and She-Ra, the whole Masters of the Universe fandom. Eric and I were thinking about going to PowerCon, for example, and I think we've just sort of found that the vibe there is more about getting toys and collectibles and being psyched about sort of the Mattel part of the fandom and not talking about sort of the key tenets of what, in my opinion, what Shira is about, what our whole podcast says Shira is about. And so my wishes for the show are so much just that progressive values come into Shira in a big frontal way, because I think that's what the show tried to do in the 80s. And it just seems obvious. It seems like super obvious, low-hanging fruit that the Netflix Shira is going to come in and be very forward-thinking about women and gender and who ha- should have the power. Oh, that's good. My personal opinion, though, on anyone that says "R.I.P. My childhood," acting like the positive memories that they have inside of them are somehow tainted by modern media or modern critique or commentary, I just think it's a wash to begin with. That person is, that person is being over dramatic about how vulnerable their their precious memories are. You can still love She-Ra or Star Wars or whatever nostalgic thing you want, and nobody today is ruining it for you. Right. It's it's this kind of I mean, I'm going to flip this script and say that those people are snowflakes. They're like they have this identity based nostalgia and they can't stand their simple preconceptions of childhood being challenged. But like it's in the text of the show. Like these are freedom fighting women. How do you get around that? (laughs) I don't I I just don't see it. Like every time someone looks me in the eye and says this show isn't political, which happens at conventions if we talked about them, I don't know what to say. I hope that Shira the reboot is crazy successful and PowerCon and other events like it. You know, even just the fandom in general, the Masters of the Universe Reddit forum. I hope everyone gets really psyched about this new show and gives it the attention that it's most likely going to deserve. All signs point to it's going to be pretty dang good. And that's the point of this whole conversation, right? Is like uh, Shira is poised to invite a whole new vanguard of 
young women and men and non-gender binary people into fandom, which is tremendous. And I don't know. I hope that the already institutionalized pieces of fandom are open to them and happy that they're coming because I am. Well, sure. And, you know, not to just play the woman card, but how many comic book shops did I try to walk into in, you know, the last 15 years of my life? Or how many gaming stores did I walk into and just not feel like I was welcome or a part of the crew to this day even, you know? There's a lot of wonderful shops out there. I've kind of found the places that I I love to go and buy from and game at. But there's still a huge population of sort of weirdy, gatekeepy places. And I don't know what they're protecting anymore, really. Themselves and their esteem. Sure. Uh, You know, back when we did the episode at the beginning of this season about the toys that made us, the whole idea that He-Man was made for little boys who didn't feel like they had power in the world, that's a fair audience to aim for, but they're not the only audience. And new She-Ra is going to attract a lot more people than just that. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know change gonna come oh yes it will okay so as far as this established fan base thing though that's interesting because even as tim seeley was talking about there is a little bit of cultural recognition of he-man like i don't know that a lot of little kids are steeped in the mythos but i think there's a kind of vague familiarity with like i know what he-man is Well, we had our last uh, finale party around last Christmas, and I gathered YouTube videos, just sort of funny YouTube videos that featured Masters of the Universe characters to show during breaks. There's a lot of them, and they were definitely geared towards our age. I mean, there was everything from Robot Chicken, which is definitely for our generation, to commercials for like grocery stores and insurance companies and things and that they're all playing to us that's true and so reaganomic style i'm guessing that people our age with kids it filters down a little bit but you also notice she-ra is not a part of like almost any of those that is true yeah she had a, a, a presence on robot chicken but not as big as he-man i will say in the in the way that black panther has all of marvel to sort of to sort of, sort of bring in people who maybe wouldn't have otherwise seen a film about a black superhero, She-Ra does have the Netflix name attached. Mm-hmm. It's definitely labeled a Netflix original, and not everything Netflix does these days is a hit. But when you think of the hits they have made, like I'm just waiting for Stranger Things season three, I'll I'll watch a Netflix original for sure. And it also has the season one of He-Man and She-Ra from the '80s on Netflix, so. I imagine some of that just filters down, or it will once kids see this new show. So I think there's going to be some general uh, awareness of the original somewhere in the chain. The question is, though, and we've talked about this before, does He-Man, does that even give a good springboard to what the show is going to be? Like, the more we talk about it, the more I think we'll only get to know him later in the season and then just barely. I don't think He-Man is going to be the catalyst of her origin story. For one, because we don't have a He-Man show that we're basing this off of. But for two, it would require 
a lot of world building and exposition that would then kind of make him a key player in the show. And if I'm just going by title alone, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, I don't get from that that this is about Prince Adam very much at all. I agree. Right. The reason that the sword of She-Ra works is because kids had already been watching He-Man for two years. And so you understand this character and it can function as the bedrock. So if that were to work again, he would have to be this like iconic social thing. I'm not sure he's at that level enough to where kids would get it. I think that we'll see him in as much as, well, Tim said they have the rights. So we'll see him in some capacity, but in as much as like he is the royal lineage of Adora's family. But yeah, I think I think we don't have this Masters of the Universe mooring with which to launch the show anymore, and that's really interesting. So I do want to turn to some of our fan comments because we are talking about Netflix a little bit. And before we get too far past that, uh, our friend and past guest, J.B. Anderton, suggests, I would like the show to not hit the reset button after every episode. The Resistance should have measurable victories and setbacks in their war against the Horde. And I think uh, particularly a Netflix show which is meant for binge-watching, the seasons drop all at once, I do think we can expect that continuity pretty pretty clearly. Even without that, I think it would be built in just because that's how, what cartoons are like now, um, which I'll miss a little bit of the episodic charm, but the fact that there's no sense of progression because an arc just wasn't planned is very frustrating, as we've talked about so many times, so many mysteries we never solve, so many characters we never see again. So yeah, I, I am assuming that the story editors are really on top of like however long these seasons are, they arc. Yeah, so I'm going to jump over to something from Twitter to sort of back up this theory. So I was on Twitter and uh, Weird. I know <laughs> Progressive of Power doesn't have a Twitter account because they're not a blast to upkeep. So I've just been using my own, which is Lauren Fates, and I occasionally use it to just at all of the creators of the new show. I think they know that we're their biggest fans, and I hope it's not super annoying. Uh, (laughs) They're like, God damn it, the show is for kids. Would these 30-year-olds leave us alone? (laughs) Why are the only people asking us about this? These freaking millennials. But okay, isn't that crazy that we're the only people asking about that? I know know we talked about that. That's crazy to me. Okay, anyway, go ahead, Lauren. So I asked... uh, Uh, Just to sort of general, the final studio season two episode of our podcast is going to be all predictions regarding the Netflix show. Do you have any hints or insight you'd like to offer? Attention, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I added nine creators of She-Ra because I'm a crazy monster. And like six of them blocked you. No, just kidding. (laughs) I don't know. I haven't checked. It could have happened. (laughs) But... uh, Twitter user Gullshriek, who is the character designer for She-Ra and one of my favorite members of this crew, said, Can't say anything specific, but the other day I was reading one script for purely work-related design info purposes and got so into it that I binged two more scripts after it. The hype is real. And not only is that just very exciting that the creators love this thing they're making so much, but I think there's a hint in there that if you get into one script, you're going to want to read more. There's got to be kind of a through story. 
I don't think you'd sit and read just a bunch of one-offs because one inspired you. Unless they're like that charming. But yeah, I would assume you're right. I'd, I'd be super into, frankly, I'm a huge fan of Adventure Time. I think Adventure Time is one of the cartoon triumphs of our generation. And Adventure Time kind of bridges the gap where they have the plot episodes and then they have the sort of monster of the week one-off episodes and the lore is woven through even the one-offs but they they just often do something playful and something unique and then revisit the major arc every now and again and i really would like to see that here only because i don't want any of my fave princess action figure characters to be left behind. <laughs> I'd love to see, you know, one Sweet Bee episode and one Natasa episode and one Spinnerella episode, just because otherwise I feel like we're not going to be able to fit them all. Uh, unfortunately, I think maybe the realistic expectation is there's just not going to be so many so many ladies. I don't know. Princesses of power. I, I picture there's like a ton. I think there might even be more than the original show, to be honest with you. Man, so good. But you talk about that. And it's interesting because I think if you look at like Netflix Marvel shows, they have this problem of a season is 13 episodes and then they pretty much just have one arc and it loses steam somewhere in there. So a show I really like that does this well, in my opinion, is Legends of Tomorrow, which has like every week is like a different weird time travel adventure. But there's always sights on like the big bad, which in this case you have Hordak. He's like already there. He's easy to like plot his machinations, I would imagine, throughout the season while focusing on smaller plots um, episodically. So I think that would be a really cool way to do it as well. Speaking of precedent set by other shows, other Netflix shows even, uh, our good friend and past guest Jacob Torbeck says, given that this is a DreamWorks slash Netflix partnership, I'm looking to Voltron, Troll Hunters, and Dragons for tone, Y7, fantasy violence, all of that. Lots of good people involved are super good with representation, so I'm expecting some more diversity in skin tone and body type, maybe some real athletic-looking warrior princesses. Also, because of that Princesses of Power title, expecting a focus on those people like Glimmer, Frosta, Castaspella that control king-queen-dums. Maybe a smaller cast then, since this, yeah, it's already what I said about uh, limited episodes, but then he also links a sweet... Uh, Fan art of Hordak, which is super cute. So Jacob seems to be on the same page as us, both in terms of the tone of the series and sort of predictions for continuity. I think uh, we're just all hoping for a lot of characters that are very diverse and exciting because as much as I love the costuming and the action figures of this show, everyone is a skinny hot babe, and there are many other types of hot babes that you can be. I will say this, talking about the villains, I wouldn't mind if the cast stayed relatively contained. Like, I kind of think the first season of the original show has all the Horde members you need. Like, Hordak at the top, Shadow Weaver as his competent second-in-command, and then you have, like, Catra is the Force Captain, and then Scorpia, Grizzlor, Leech, and Mantena, and then Troopers. That's perfect to me. Like, I, I would love if they just kept with that. And the fact that Tim said that he found out they could use all of the Masters Universe Horde members makes me think that like that will probably fly. But I guess worst case is we just have Hordak, Catra, Shadow Weaver, and then some new people. 
Well, Shadow Weaver is the best one. Shadow Weaver, yeah. I would actually be okay if she was, like, the main villain. <laughs> I mean, doubtful, but... Listen, if all the people I keep adding on Twitter will just listen to me for once, that's what we truly want is a Shadow Weaver spinoff. There's no way that she isn't going to be like a star. Although, isn't it interesting that basically the way this show's mythos came together is someone who was an obsessive fan, Tim Seeley, wrote a Bible and then passed it off to a young generation, people younger than Lauren and I, who didn't know anything about the show. So you have this like almost like double authentication like... We don't know what's going to come out because they may not think the same things are cool that we do when they just read it in text. But it's interesting that it's like filtered through both this nostalgic fan angle and then a new generation. Yeah, sort of a modern group of people that can interpret and adapt a a very beloved sort of text. Uh, One more comment about cast size before we get off of that topic is... That is the gap that you have to bridge with stuff like this. I, I love how many characters are in the original She-Ra, but the best episodes of She-Ra for me were the deep dive episodes we did into Shadow Weaver and then the deep dive episode into Madame Raz and her sort of ex-husband character and their whole relationship. And you can't you can't get super deep into characters in 13 episodes if you have a zillion of them you know see infinity war (laughs) welcome back to our marvel podcast and there's also something about um episodic versus serialized storytelling like episodic storytelling is especially good at letting you dive into minor characters it's almost like this will eisner and spirit kind of thing like batman the animated series did it so well we're like here's an episode about the gray ghost here's an episode about the clock king like that shit's cool. And then you get them in 22 minutes and then you can leave them be. I feel like it's harder in an epi- in a serialized run to make sure everyone gets their due because it's just way more balls to juggle, right? Because you have to let it grow over 13 episodes. So I, I feel like you're probably right that like the core cast will be condensed. I bet it's like Adora, Glimmer, Bo, Madam, probably in the rebel camp. And then, like, hopefully, Hordak, Shadow Weaver, Catra on the other side. I'm I'm really questioning whether or not Madame Raz is going to be there. I want her to be there for age representation purposes, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they took someone else, like Frosta, and aged her up and then merged Madame Raz with someone else. Because if we're going princesses of power, Madame Raz was pretty clearly not that, Uh I don't think I have an opinion here or there if she stays or if she goes. I just hope that if they remove her, someone takes her place as uh, older character. Oh, I want her to stay. I hope so. I mean, not everyone's going to be a princess. Bo's not a princess of power in theory. Everyone's a princess, Eric. The creators of the new Shira have been pretty clear about the fact that they have signed NDAs and can't tell us anything. And so <laughs> when the- you show up at their door late at night and they're like, Lauren, we told you. <laughs> well, for one, I hope they'll come onto the show later. I hope once uh, I hope once Shira premieres, we can speak to some of them either in person or even just on a phone call. Gosh, what an honor it would be. But I do just want to give them all sort of our gratitude because so many of them took the time to 
just write back. So I'm going to read you a couple of these very uh, non-revealing but super kind comments. So Jen Bennett is a director and storyboard artist. She's currently directing on She-Ra and says, I'm definitely not allowed to say anything except that I hope you'll love it when it's finally out. I'm looking forward to hearing your predictions, which I think means maybe a listener. I might just be dreaming. Uh, and then Ryan Sai, who is, I believe, the uh, does visual development on She-Ra, says, we unfortunately can't say anything because of NDAs, but we're all real proud of what the show has become, and it's exactly the kind of thing it needs to be. It's very much a product of all the people working on it, and it just keeps getting better. Uh, my favorite part of that tweet is, it's exactly the kind of thing it needs to be. Mm. Because, man, do we have strong feelings that we've already expressed about what we feel this show needs to be in 2018. Yes, yes, yes. I'm putting together that everyone stresses that they signed an NDA. And yet we've also talked about how we're kind of the people most invested in the show. Those NDAs exist because of you and me, Lauren. Well, I deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) I was listening to uh, this podcast about REM today, and the guest was talking about how when she was 15, she found out where um, Mike Mills lived and convinced her mom to drive her to Mike Mills' house. And then she knocked on the door, and he came out and talked to her and, like, took a picture. And he was like, don't worry, it happens all the time because he still lived in his hometown. Anyway... So that's like this. This is you like these people are Mike Mills and you're trying to go to their house. <laughs> I think it's really amazing that that's the reputation I'm now going to have on this podcast even though I just got into this show a year and a half ago. That's Look true. what you've done. I'm so sorry. This is your fault in a way. But it's kind of perfect though because like I I represent the old guard and you know you're the person that I was like, "Look, look at this cool thing." And you're like, "Yeah, this is cool, but it can be better." And now let's see it be better. Yeah, it's weird how that worked out. It's it's interesting to get the reminder literally in this moment that when I said I would do this with you, this new show didn't exist. We yeah, th- that's true. We've only been recording this podcast for 10 months. It was about a year ago we started working for Amea Poar's campaign that um yeah, that ended. You said his name. Oh, we never said his name on the show. <laughs> now he has to go back to his home dimension. <laughs> <laughs> So let me leave everyone with this. We have a season finale party at uh, in Lincoln Park on Tuesday, and it's a private event. But if you live in Chicago or you don't and you want to go, why don't you message us and we'll tell you about it? Yes, it's invite only, but only in the sense that we want to invite you. Yeah, but you have to reach out because we can't broadcast it to the public, okay? So do that. It's going to be cool. We're watching the um, 1987 Masters of the Universe live-action movie, and we have a couple of guest critics and friends to talk about it. John Clark from Caffeinated Comics and Symphony Sanders from uh, What's That Show? Oh, yeah. Welcome to Night Vale. Yeah. Biggest podcast ever. Welcome to Night Vale. And also Dolph Lundgren is joining us. That's not true. <laughs> I, I, I'm really excited to return to the roots of this podcast with this one because I have not seen this film and Eric has. 
but unlike Shira, I don't necessarily have positive feelings about this film. <laughs> uh, we're also going to have, you know, snacks and beverages. And uh, I'm told that Symphony Sanders of Welcome to Night Vale actually loves this movie. Like, really? had it on repeat as a kid. And when it got recorded over, was just devastated. So I'm really excited to hear these stories. And I hope you'll come and hang out with us. And you can hear the recording of not the movie, but the discussion after it next Friday. And then we'll be on break for a while until Arrested Development Season 5. I mean, Shira. <laughs> Our Arrested Development Marvel podcast is coming soon. That's right. At the far end of the universe, there is a planet ruled by a being of utter evil. And there is only one man who dares challenge him. They are locked in a battle to the death. A battle that will take them across the heavens. Stop him! A battle that will finally be fought. I want them to get out and brought to me! Across the face. Police! Nobody move! Of Earth. I think I'm gonna need some backup. Can you show us the way? Of course. No. Somebody help me! No! Julie! From a distant galaxy, they have come to Earth. Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, Frank Langella as Skeletor. Only they have the powers to be. Masters of the Universe, live the adventure. Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. At the top of this episode, we talked a little bit about the pink wave that's hopefully cresting nationwide that'll help turn the tide in elections this fall. There are lots of great ways to encourage that, like sending time and money to progressive women candidates. But you can also contribute to organizations like She Should Run, a nonprofit established in 2011 that encourages and supports women of all political persuasions running for office. The candidate field is usually pretty unbalanced as far as gender goes, and She Should Run is working to combat that. Very She-Ra of them. For my information or to donate your time and money, visit SheShouldRun.org.